Mac Power Users, Episode 30, The Mac Gadgeteer. Hello, friends. It's David Sparks here. Along with me is Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie? I'm doing great, David. Glad to be back in the podcasting saddle with you again. You know, isn't it a great thing to be able to podcast and get geeky on the microphone? I was just thinking that driving home today, how much I enjoy coming home and doing this podcast with you. It's a it's a nice end to the day. A little later in the day for me than for you, but it is a nice way to to wrap up a day and and get your mind off of uh, all things work related and onto more pleasant topics. And today we're going to be talking about Mac gadgets. This was your idea. The show topic was my idea, but the the show name was definitely your idea, the Mac Gadgeteer. So the idea behind it is, obviously, we all love our Mac and our Mac experience, and um, we want to go out and branch out in other aspects of our lives and try to translate that experience um, uh, to other areas. And Apple makes some great accessories for the Mac that we don't always get to talk about, but there are also other developers and other vendors that make really cool things that that work well in your Mac. So the the idea behind this episode is perhaps not necessarily using our Mac, but how are we extending our Mac, perhaps through other devices or other software, other tools, into other areas of our life? Hopefully that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. I think a lot of Mac users are are gadget freaks to begin with. I know I am. I mean, back to childhood, I always wanted to find the the newest and shiniest uh, geeky tools. So my guess is a lot of our listeners are just like me. Right. So let's start with the living room. Yeah. The the first area is kind of how do we use our Mac in our homes? And, and the first area is, is really the living room. Um, and I, I guess we need to go ahead and talk about this whole media center aspect of the Mac because there's a lot of interest in that topic recently, and, and I think the, the trend is definitely going that way. It certainly is, and the, the obvious choice is the Apple TV. You know, the Apple TV, I think, gets a bad rap sometimes. It's, it's, it's this hobby project. It's, I don't, I don't want to say it hasn't taken off, but it really hasn't taken off, certainly compared to some of other Apple's projects. You know, I was really sad it recently got booted off the Apple Store front page. You now have to click into iPods and and find the Apple TV. And it was, you know, and even Steve Jobs says, oh, this is our hobby. We haven't quite figured it out yet. Um, But I absolutely love mine. And I know you have an Apple TV as well. Yes, I'm also a happy Apple TV owner. I got mine shortly after they came out. And uh, uh, I guess we should step back a little bit. You know, what is an Apple TV? Well, I think there are two ways to think about an Apple TV. One you're probably going to be more happy with and others, it's never going to meet your expectations. And I think the way that you're going to be happiest thinking about the Apple TV is thinking of it as basically an iPod that uses your TV as its screen. And the other way that some other people think about it is it's kind of like a mini Mac mini, if that makes sense. A, a, a mini computer that doesn't quite have the functionality of a Mac mini. I like it when you said mini Mac mini. Okay. It's a mini that, Mac mini. That made me giggle. Oh. Um, the reason I like the iPod analogy better uh, is because 
the Apple TV is designed to go hand in hand with iTunes. It interacts with iTunes. Pretty much anything that you can play in iTunes, you can play on your Apple TV. And you can sync and you can stream. And that, that's really the way that you interact with the Apple TV. You got to live in iTunes. And if your life is in iTunes, or your digital life is in iTunes, like mine is, and perhaps this is why the Apple TV works so well for me, it's not a problem. I don't mind having all of my music, all of my movies, all of my TV shows, all of my podcasts, and all of that stuff in iTunes. If you don't live within iTunes, I think you're constantly going to be struggling with a way to make the Apple TV fit into your life. And, you know, it seems to me like the Apple TV is getting really ripped by a lot of podcasters and other technology people uh, because it doesn't do what they want it to do. And I kind of get that. But you also have to understand, you know, what is it when you buy it? You know, what do you get out of the box? And it's exactly like you described. It's an iPod that uses your TV as a screen. And if you are in the iTunes ecosystem, and I am too, it's a great device. I mean, you plug it into your TV. It syncs up to your iTunes with almost no work at all. And you can copy, you can wirelessly copy your media over to it, or you can just stream your media from your computer. Uh, I use it a lot in my house. So the way I, I use it is we have it plugged into the TV downstairs and I copy over to it because you can, using the uh, Apple TV, you can put certain media on it. So I copy a bunch of pictures on it that are just resident on it at all time. Oh, it's it says the... the Best video um, uh, montage movie. Now nah, I'm not saying this right. It it is the best uh, picture frame entertainment center conversation piece I think I've ever had. Yeah, it's great. So it has a really nice animation that it does. It moves the pictures up and down the screen, and it's got and it flips them, and it it looks really nice. And a lot of times when we have family over, I'll just leave it up mm-hmm. with that gallery plane and. You know, so the first use for it is, is a picture device. And my mother-in-law absolutely loves it. She will sit there for hours and just scroll through the pictures of her grandchildren and her daughter and skipping really quickly over the ones of her son-in-law. Sure. And, uh, it's, but, you know, it's, it's really good for that. And it takes no work at all. If you've got Aperture or iPhoto, um, it, it, it works through your iTunes. So you just copy the, the file over. You could stream them also, I believe, but I just copy them over because they're pictures. They don't take a lot of room. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first thing it gives me. Is it gives me a picture frame. The next thing it does is allows me to watch movies. And uh, I've written about this on Max Sparky. Whenever we buy a DVD, the first thing I do is I use Rip It or I use Handbrake or whatever to put the thing in iTunes. Because I have kids and, you know, kids frequently mix things like peanut butter and jelly with DVDs. And it's, you know, it's a waste. You know, the thing gets ruined and you can't use it anymore. So I rip it. Then I store the DVD. And also since, you know, we're such a bunch of Apple geeks, I can put it onto the iPads and the iPhones and iPod touches and all the various, you know, iDevices in the house. Uh, so the Apple TV is a natural extension. My kids, when they want to watch a movie, they don't go looking for the DVD box. They just flip it over to the Apple TV and then they, they search it through the library. Um, and I don't copy those movies over to the Apple TV device. I stream them over an in-network um, the computer that hosts the movies is upstairs, uh, kind of in my little office nook. It's off my iMac. And then the TV is at the opposite end of the house, but everything works just fine. Now, do you stream movies or do you load them onto your Apple TV? I've done both, but I've never had a problem with streaming movies. I am I chew them over an in-network. 
I, I occasionally load some up on my Apple TV just because my primary Mac is a, a laptop and sometimes the lid is closed or sometimes it's asleep. And if that's the case, it, it won't stream. So sometimes I'll sync over if I, if I know I'm going to be watching something, but I've never had any problem with the streaming. Well, I've got a ton of media on my hard drive on my iMac and I watch all of it. I got the planet earth on there. I got, I got great stuff on there. So whenever I want to watch a, TV show or a movie, I can just start it up uh, sitting on the couch uh, from the Apple TV. The other thing I really like the Apple TV for are video podcasts. You know, our friend Don McAllister over at Screencast Online. Uh, I love to watch his screencasts on the big TV, and then I'll put my laptop in my lap and I might learn something, you know. But it's not just the Mac Geek stuff. I mean, there's nature, there's photography, whatever you're interested in. There's some really high quality video podcasts out there. It's really easy to watch them, and it's, it's more pleasurable than sitting in front of your your uh, Mac to watch some of these podcasts. So I find it really perfect for my needs, but I totally get these people who don't like it because it doesn't do it, you know, feature X, Y, and Z, but you got to understand going into this, it, they don't sell it to do feature X, Y, and Z. It's really a simple device. It plays anything that's in your iTunes library. And really that's about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that works for me because I don't watch much TV. I mean, except, you know, maybe baseball game or occasional football game. I'm not really into TV. I don't, I don't care for it that much. I could turn the TV off, cable off of my house with no trouble. It wouldn't bother me the slightest, except I'd miss the occasional game. But my family would, would lynch me. <laughs> but, uh, so I have very meager TV needs, and the Apple TV fits right in. So it's great for me. Um, I, but I, I understand people don't like it, but I think they're not really giving it a fair shake. As long as you accept it for what it's supposed to be, it's not that expensive. What do they cost? About 150 bucks now? Yeah. Uh, so as long as you accept it for what it's supposed to be, I think it can be a great addition to your Mac, especially if you're an Apple geek and you've got all your stuff on iTunes. Right. You can't- a couple of things to add to that. I've got the original Apple TV. Um, I, my Apple TV only cost me 20 bucks. I, I won it at a, a charity raffle type thing. Um, and so it was a, a point of contention. It was something that I really, really wanted. And, you know, most people were throwing in a couple of bucks, five bucks. And I'm like, no, I'm throwing in the 20, you know, and I got this whole row of tickets. You know, I want this Apple TV. And I'm really glad because it's the type of thing that I don't know that I would have bought myself because I was skeptical about it. And also at that time, they were a little bit more expensive. But it's it's totally the kind of thing that if it died tomorrow, I would go out and buy another one without hesitation. Um, I also have the 40, 40 gig hard drive model, which is, you know, minuscule by comparison. But because I stream everything, I've, I've never had an issue. Uh, one issue that I did have early on that I've, I quickly found a solution to is, um, you know, storing movies on the hard drive. Now, if you've got a larger iMac or, or a, a desktop machine that, that has a really big hard drive in it, that's, that's a minor problem. Um, what I have done, though, is I've pretty much queued up all of my movies on a, an external hard drive. And as long as that external hard now it is one more step, that external hard drive has to be attached. But you can associate the movies to iTunes without copying the movies to iTunes. Um, and I think you hold down the option key when you, when you do that. And it, you know, normally I keep my iTunes library organized and I copy the files in. But, but this way, you know, when I unplug the hard drive, the movies are gone. I don't take up that space on, on my MacBook. But um, also video podcast consumption for me really skyrocketed with the Apple TV. It's um it's it's like my Saturday or my Sunday morning ritual is I 
I go through my video podcasts. I've got Don's, of course. Uh, Victor is even doing some some video podcasts now. Chuck does some great video podcasts. Uh, and the folks over at CNET do some really great video podcasts. So it's it's really opened up a whole new world and some really good HD, too. I mean, when you're sitting there and you turn the channels, I mean, this is why I keep threatening to pull the cable. I was turning the channels and there's like, you know, reality shows about blah, blah, blah. You know, there's another show where some guy is getting, you know, knocked off a chair and just, just, it's completely ridiculous. And I'm thinking, well, you know, if I'm going to be sitting here. I might as well watch something that I can, you know, enjoy or learn something from. And you just flip over to the podcast. You're good to go. You know, another thing I use the Apple TV for that I was thinking about while you were talking was the uh, previews. You know, you know, I have little kids. Well, not so little anymore, but, you know, I have my two girls. And we, a lot of times, like to hook up the Apple TV and go to the movie preview section mm-hmm. because they have all the most recent trailers. And it's, it's, we can spend a half hour just kind of going through all the trailers and finding movies that we may want to go see. And yeah. uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I think it's a great device, and I think it's getting a bad rap. So, um, you know, if you can accept it with the constraints, and I think a lot of people that listen to this show probably could, uh, it's worth taking a look at. Uh, I know that there's a lot of rumors out there that they're going to come out with a new one, and you know, for all we know, they will tomorrow. But uh, even the product as is, uh, I I love it. And uh, if it broke, I think I would go out and replace it too. Yeah. The Apple TV, and, and this will kind of segue into our next topic, to me is very easy. Um, it, it's the only device. It's been the hit of the party, so to speak. You know, if I have friends over or people over and I say, you want to watch a movie? Sure. I flip over to the Apple TV. I hand them the remote. They've never used this device before. They're intrigued by it, but they instantly know how to go to the movie store and find a movie that they like. It's that easy. And I also, you can hack the Apple TV. It's it's become a lot easier. Um, and, and a lot of people have taken it upon themselves to do that. And you can add Boxy and you can add Hulu functionality to some degree, although that's, you know, there there was that whole issue with Hulu and Boxy and, and Apple TV. But you can add all these things on it to when you hack it. And my Apple TV was hacked for about six months or so. And I just found that it, it got a little more flaky, a, a little less reliable. And I just wasn't using the hacked content all that much. So when one of the software updates came out, I, I reformatted it to its you know regular form. And I, I haven't even looked back. But for those folks who aren't happy with just the plain Apple TV, they need to tweak um, they they want access to more content. Then there's always the mythical Mac Media Center that that you can create, which I think has become a little bit easier now with the Mac Mini now that it has an HDMI output. Yeah, I'd say it's less less mythical than it used to be. Yeah. Um, the Mac Mini obviously is significantly more expensive. It's now six ninety nine. Um, so you're you're tripling the price of your Apple TV if if not more. But you can do a lot more with it. Um, first off, you've got DVD playback, although it is not Blu-ray because the Apple TV has a built-in. D- I'm sorry, the uh, the Mac Mini has a built-in TV player, and with Front Row, it it has gotten a little easier to get into that iTunes interface. And between you know Front Row, you've you've pretty much got Apple TV functionality. Although you do actually have to go into iTunes if you want to rent movies and do things like that. Um, but where, where a computer really steps over the Apple TV is, is you have additional applications that you can pull from. Um, you can stream Netflix, you can stream Hulu because it's got a true web browser. Uh, you can install Boxy in it, although you can to some degree on an Apple TV as well and have access to all of that content. You can 
um, have access to other codecs and play other types of movies and things that don't normally play in iTunes. So definitely with a Mac media, you've got a lot more functionality, but it also becomes more complicated as well. Can you imagine somebody listening to us talking who doesn't know what all these Hulu boxy things mean? Hulu boxy Netflix. So, you know, there's a bunch of different services uh, that are finding ways to put TV on the computer. And people want to put those computer services on their TV, obviously. And the networks don't want you to do that because they make a heck of a lot more money uh, selling commercials for your television than they do the little ads they put in front of Boxy. And they get kickbacks from your cable company. And so there's an ongoing battle, for lack of a better word, as to what to do with this stuff. And and there are some great products, and I mean, that could be a whole show in and of itself, although we would certainly have to have someone who's more knowledgeable about this area than I uh, come in to chat about it. But there are people who have, have made very sophisticated, very inclusive uh, home media centers with their Mac minis and have really cut the cable and just about replaced everything. Um, this is something that I've looked at for a long time. I keep wanting to get rid of my cable bill. Um, but every time I sit down and look at it and price it and look at all my options, uh, it just doesn't make sense to me at this point to do that. I, I think Chuck Joyner and I are going to talk about that a little more at, at some point. I got myself into a little bit of trouble on uh, his Mac Jury podcast recently, so I, I think I've, I got some explaining to do. But You want to hear something sad? I, I could cut the cable and just have my Apple TV, and I'd probably be happy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, my, my big holdups... Um, I don't, I don't watch any live sports really. So, so that's not an issue. Uh, my big holdups are, is cable news. I, you know, wake up in the morning, get ready and go to bed at night, you know, to news and, uh, HGTV. I'm a little bit of an HGTV junkie. So, you know, kind of when I'm just mulling around the house and I want something on, you know, I, I, I need to have my HGTV. Well, it's, it's pretty amazing. Apple is finally kind of catching up and they've, release this Mac mini now that has the HDMI port out the back. Uh, and there's kind of conglomeration of technology. I think we're heading towards the way where the home media center is going to be a lot easier than it used to be. I think and so. maybe, maybe that will be a show one of these days. We'll get somebody in to, to kind of go through every step of it. But I guess the takeaway for this show is that, uh, for the basic view, my iTunes on my TV, you can get away with an Apple TV just fine. Uh, if you want it to do more, you know, if you want to see the TV shows off Hulu or if you want to run a Mac on your TV, I mean, that's kind of neat too. the idea that, you know, open Safari and be able to, you know, browse shops or whatever you do while you're sitting on your couch. But, you know, you still have to go through that kind of weird thing of getting a wireless keyboard and then you got to have a mouse, some way to do an input or you got to put an app on your iPhone or your iPad. I mean, to me, it just seems like too much work. I'm not... Mm-hmm. I don't like TV enough to to bother with it, but yeah. uh, I don't want to take away uh, from people who do it because I know some people do that really love it and they get a lot out of it. But you know, so that's another way you can become a Mac gadgeteer by no stretch of the imagination. But I think the uh, Apple TV for me is just fine. I'm, I don't see myself going any further with it. One of the final things that you can do with a Mac Mini that you can't with an Apple TV is um, Elgato has several very nice products and. You can basically turn your Mac into a DVR if you're looking for a DVR replacement. Um, so one of these um, DVR replacement products like the Elgato 
and, and you know, an over-the-air signal, and, and you've pretty much got all of your networks, assuming you live in an area where you can pick up over-the-air broadcasts for your networks, um, and a DVR right at your fingertips. Uh, that's nice. It's something that I've considered doing, but I really can't give up my TiVo. I guess you probably don't get that, David, if you're not a big TV freak. No, well, I have the uh, DVR as part of my cable package. It's I know not the it's, same. Uh, it's everybody, everybody tells me that. But, you know, I watch Big Bang Theory. That's the one show that I watch. <laughs> and, you know, Big Bang I think it's perfectly capable of taping that show for me so I can catch up with it whenever I get around to it. So Wesley Crushers. Oh, sorry. Um <laughs> I love my TiVo. TiVo, TiVo, I think, is to Mac as generic cable company DVR boxes to PC. I get it. Yeah. I get it. (laughs) You would like it. I've talked to a couple of Mac people who say that, and I'm sure that if I had one, I would really like it, and I would probably find an excuse to watch more TV, which is all the more reason why I don't need one. And and I must admit, I watch too much TV. I really do. I started um, looking through my season passes on my TiVo, and when you start scrolling past about four or five pages, you just realize, okay, I have a problem. I don't watch all that stuff, but I record it all. But no, it doesn't all get watched. Okay, here's a, one more for you. This is totally off topic. I uh, I just got done t- telling you how little I watch TV, but there is one show on every summer that I watch, and I just think it's fantastic. Have you ever seen the show on sci-fi called Eureka? Uh-uh. I've heard yeah. of it, though. Totally watch it. It's like this little town where... There's all these geniuses. It's like a secret government town, and they have this sheriff who has to you know, keep them all from killing each other every week. It's just hilarious. It reminds me of Northern Exposure, which is a show I Oh, I like to. Northern Exposure. So. All right, well, I will check out Eureka. Um, but you got to check out TiVo. And one of the reasons I like the TiVo is that from very early on, it's had a pretty active developer community, and uh, specifically Mac people, because I think a lot of Mac people get TiVo. So you, you're seeing pretty good development for apps for the TiVo that connect with your Mac. And my current favorite is an app called iTiVo. It's a free download. And it uh, allows you to download shows from your TiVo. It, it's kind of got this this little wrapper around it. that it, it gets rid of that wrapper. And it, um, it converts it uh, to an iTunes-friendly format. You know, it will uh, convert for iPad, iPhone, Apple TV, iTunes, whatever you want. And then, you know, like like we said before, as soon as you get your content into that iTunes interface, you can do whatever you want with it. You can put it on your Apple TV. You can uh, put it on your iPad. You can put it on your iPhone. And I use this uh, not often, but anytime that I'm I'm traveling, it's it's I'm just so glad that I have it. Um, I also use a product called PyTivo, and we'll put links to this in 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 the show that does the exact opposite. It it takes content that's in a specific format off of your Mac and streams it to your TiVo. So let's assume that you don't have an Apple TV, but you still want to be able to stream. You know, you want to you want to load up your home movies onto your TiVo because you want to be able to show them on demand to folks as they come over. Um, you can basically it will it will set it up so it thinks that your Mac is a is a is a connected TiVo somewhere in the house, and you can you know stream your movies off of your off of your Mac and and onto your big screen through your TiVo. Um, It does Netflix sharing, which, of course, the Apple TV doesn't, although you could with a Mac Mini, and you can with an iPad and soon an iPhone now. Um, And it also does the video on demand from Amazon, although I have found that their selection is nowhere near as high quality as iTunes. But it's, it's an option. Yeah, there's, there's like a whole subculture of Mac people uh, tricking out their TiVos. 
fact, quite a few of our podcast friends are among them, I believe. Yep. It, it's pretty easy to do. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the other way you can do it is just attach an old MacBook to your TV. Well, it doesn't even have to be an old MacBook. Um, you know, I, I've done this before and, you know, when traveling is, you know, just connect up whatever spare TV you have to your, your big screen. Monoprice um, makes a great display port to HDMI adapter that includes a little USB dongle so that it carries um, audio as well as video. Otherwise, you got to carry two cables. But, you know, for, for the price of a $30 cable, you know, boom, your, your Mac outputs an HDMI and anything you can get on your Mac, especially if you've got a, a handy-dandy little Apple remote that you can use to interface with it, you can get on your big screen. No, the, the, the yeah. iPad killed a lot of this for me. Any interest in doing this stuff? Because now, like when I go out of town, I just take my iPad and I can watch whatever video I want on it. Yeah, that's true. I think the iPad is, has killed a lot of things. The uh, Steve Stanger at the Mac Attack US, I believe it is. Steve was telling me once he took a headless MacBook. He had a MacBook that had a busted screen hmm. and did the same thing. You know, I mean, it had the computer had very little value. I mean, the screen was destroyed and it was going to cost a lot of money to replace it. So he attached it to a TV and I don't know if he's still doing that or not, but he said it worked really good, you know? So, you know, there, there's a lot of solutions for getting a Mac plugged in your TV. I mean, be creative. Yeah. It, it beats an otherwise dead Mac. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. I, I just, the, I've thought about it in the past. I'm like, well, what would I do with a Mac connected to my TV? You know, when I've got a laptop, I've got an iMac. My wife has an. I mean, I have an iPad now. I mean, what, yeah, you've got his and her iPads now. Yeah. You've got Apple TV. Yeah, and, and I admit that this is, um, this has gone away for me quite a bit with the Apple TV. The one thing I do occasionally use it for uh, is Hulu. If for some reason my DVR misses a show, and maybe it's usually if my DVR misses a show, I just spend the dollar ninety nine and go buy it in iTunes because it's not worth the hassle. But um. Yeah. You know, sometimes I'll connect it if the show's on Hulu and I'll stream it through Hulu. That's not too bad. Well, there's there's a lot of things you can do with your Mac in your living room. Absolutely. A lot of people are just, you know, uh, I guess another cool thing, we didn't put this in the outline, is, you know, finding a nice desk or a lap desk or something. Because a lot of times people now are just sitting on the couch with their laptop. You know, a gadget is getting the thing plugged in and making it comfortable to sit down on a couch and use it. Yeah, they can get awfully toasty. Yeah. And it's just not a good idea. I mean, my daughter inherited my wife's old MacBook, and I just went in her room the other day, and she was sitting in bed, and she had the computer sitting on top of her, her sheet, and I had to talk to her about heat. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I got her a little thing she can keep in her room. But, you know, if you're going to sit in the living room and use your Mac, get a, you know, a nice big book or one of those lap desks or something to put it on so you don't, don't damage it. You're more worried about damaging the Mac, not not the lap, right? No, she, my daughter's smart <laughs> enough. If she uh, if she started getting hot, she'd turn it off. Yeah. But the computer will just toast itself. It doesn't know any better. Right. All right. Well, I think that about wraps up the living room, at least. But we got a bunch of more rooms to go. You bet. But first, let's talk about our sponsor, Smile on My Mac. This is um, appropriate because just today, uh, Smile on My Mac released an update to PDF Pen, PDF Pen version 4.7. And this update adds support for Evernote. And we've talked about Evernote quite a bit. I think I may use it a little more than you do, David, but 
gosh, PDF Pen and Evernote just just feel like two products that were designed to go together. Yeah. So now, now how does it work? Have you played with it yet? Yeah. So in the right in the file menu, uh, the new version of PDF Pen 4.7 has a save to Evernote option. And, you know, if you've ever used Evernote before, you know that you can clip text from certain areas. Uh, before you had to go and you had to print, you had to print something in a PDF and you had to print it into Evernote. But uh, now it's really easy. Um, PDF Pen saves straight to Evernote. If you've OCR'd it, it keeps that OCR functionality and that goes right into Evernote. Uh, and th- these are two programs that I use quite a bit together because usually I'm opening a PDF, I'm editing a PDF, I want to save it, I want to have the ability to to access it anywhere on the go. So where does it go in that case? It goes into Evernote. And uh, now, we, go ahead. I think PDF Pen is just such a great value. I mean, it, the, it was $450 to buy a new version of Adobe Acrobat, and this yeah. thing has most of the features that you have there, unless you're doing some real high-end stuff, you know, designing your own self-filling forms where you want reporting back, et cetera, et cetera. You don't need that stuff unless you're really, you know, doing high-end stuff. For the most typical uses of PDF management and PDF modification, PDF Pen does the job just fine at a fraction of the price. Well, at, and it's forty nine ninety five. but if you do need to do some of that high-end stuff, you can go ahead and grab PDF Pen Pro. And the pro version has the ability to create fillable PDF forms and document table of contents in addition to all the regular features of PDF Pen. Uh, and if you're going to use it quite a bit, you can get family packs of both products. Yeah, an additional feature of PDF Pen Pro that I use every day is the ability to create a table of contents or bookmarking of your documents. So if you've got a lot of documents, you want to keep them in one file so you don't have to keep loading different things. You can load them up and just put in those table of content entries, and it reads it just fine. It allows you to jump around your document, and uh, it can be read on other PDF programs. If you give it to somebody and they open it in preview, those table of contents entries show up so they can immediately access it. Yeah, they they really play nice with others. And, uh, you know, we were just talking to the folks at, at Smile on My Mac, and and even though that they are sponsors of the show, they're they're really great, innovative people. And one of my favorite things about Smile on My Mac is they are constantly looking for a way to make their products better. They're never happy with where they are. Um, they don't want to just remain stagnant and sit on their laurels, but they're constantly adding little features like this into a free point release. You know, they didn't wait for the next biggest version of PDF Pen to... Uh, you know, install these features. And in this particular case, they met up with the Evernote guys at WWDC. They thought they were cool. The Evernote folks thought the PDF pen people were cool. And they are pretty cool people. Um, And they just said, you know what? We think a lot alike. We should work together. And boom, they made it happen. And, and, you know, WWDC was what, all of a month ago? Yeah. There are other PDF programs out there. You know, there's expensive ones and there's free ones. But this is just the right combination of a application with active development that's you know the meeting the needs of the users at a reasonable price uh fifty dollars gets you in the door if you want those additional features to create your own forms and create your own table of contents it's another 50 for about 100 bucks uh pdf pen and pdf pen pro you can't go wrong and you can find pdf pen pdf pen pro and all of their other great software over at their website smileonmymac.com be sure you let them know that we sent you and thanks once again to Smile on My Mac for their continued sponsorship of Mac Power users. Okay, so now we're going to talk about home servers as another possible Mac gadget. I must admit, um, 
I put this in the show notes to try to convince myself that I needed one. Is that acceptable? <laughs> you know, I'm hearing a lot of people who are installing these home servers lately. I've got friends uh, that work at the Apple store who can't stop raving about their home servers and a couple other Mac friends. And I'm not sold on this. I'm not sold on it either, but I want to be one of the cool kids and I want one. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what, a, what a server does, I mean, everybody who, you know, goes to work, you've probably got a server in your office somewhere. And the first thing that people need servers are for is to serve up files, you know, so you've got a bunch of computers and you want to be able to have everybody use the same file store. Uh, a server is a great product for that. And Apple has a product called Mac OS 10 server. It's a version of OS 10. It's uh, $500. You know, it's not like the $29 snow leopard. It's, it's a few bucks. But, but people use them for their offices and you, you, know, you install them. They have a, uh, you can buy an XServe, which is, you know, very expensive. I think it's about a $3,000 piece of hardware that works in an office, which would be, you know, ludicrous to put it in your home unless you were, uh, really wanted to be the cool kid, I guess. And then Apple also has a product called the Mac mini server, mm -hmm. which is like the, uh, Mac mini we talked about earlier, but it doesn't have a media slot, doesn't read a DVD and it has it doesn't have the HDMI, but instead it's got two hard drives and a copy of Mac OS X server installed on it. Yeah, so you're basically, I don't know, it's almost kind of like getting Mac Media X server almost for free by the time you're done with it. Almost, but not quite. Not so, quite. so, but you can put this in your home or small office, and now you've got Mac OS X server installed. So what can you do with that? Um, you can serve files better than you could with a dedicated file server. Uh, and there's a lot of tools and, you know, we could spend quite a bit of time talking about the security encryption and the ability to, you know, access multiple files. There, there's, there's a lot of interesting tools built in. Uh, but with Mac OS X server, you can also serve a calendar. And uh, we keep threatening to do a show on calendars. Maybe we'll talk about this deeper when we go there. But, you know, like at an office, you could have uh, everyone in the household have their calendar, see everybody else's calendar and, and set appointments and uh, do a lot of things that you could do already if you just bought BusyCal. Frankly. Mm -hmm. um, there's an address book server, so you could have a centralized database for all your address book entries. Um, there's a wiki server, so if you wanted to put a, a wiki together on some project, you could do that and serve it up from the Mac OS X server. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there that makes uh, multiple users... Uh, you know, it helps out with having multiple users. Now you're, you don't, you know, you're home, you, you're, you live alone. I can't imagine why you would need one, honestly. But I want one. Yeah. Uh, and maybe some listener will write in with some good justification for it. But please, please tell me why I need to spend the money uh, on it's this. It's another thing where I think it's, it's just probably not that necessary. I keep telling my Apple friends that have them. I said, well, give me a good reason. And nobody ever really gives me a good reason. I mean, there's so much you can do now with just the, you know, the vanilla Mac OS 10. I mean, you've got back to my Mac if you need to get in and do networking. The file serving, like we talked about in the last episode, is really easy from a Mac. It's not hard to set up your own home file serving network. Uh, I just don't see that it's all that important. But uh, that is a nice gadget if you, if you want to go crazy and put together your own network, you know, by all means, go get it. Well, I must admit, I, I was not thinking about actually getting a Mac mini server. I was planning on getting just a plain old Mac Mini, the now seven ninety nine variety, and having it function as a server. Because I do agree with you that Mac OS X server is a little bit of an, uh, an overkill. 
Um, one of the things that you can do, it, it's more just having a spare Mac to be a centralized location for all of this data. You know, something that you can pour your iTunes in, something that you can pour your iPhoto in. And then you turn on iTunes, you turn on iTunes sharing, and any computer in the house you can set up to connect to this this shared database. They can see what's on the iTunes, they can see what's on the iPhoto. So it can be a, a great, you know, music server or media server. You know, you can you can make this Mac Mini the central hub for all of your media and it can connect to the Apple TVs rather than have it connect, you know, in in my case to my MacBook Pro. Um, the other solutions that I, I thought were particularly interesting for a, a Mac mini server, although not a Mac mini server, just a Mac mini being used as a server, um, for email. Um, you know, Apple, I've always wished that MobileMe would have server-side rules. And finally, they put them in, and they suck. You know, they're, uh, you know once you use Mail Act-On or, or once you use some of the more advanced filtering features within Mail, you know, there's there's just no comparison, and I've got several set up, and that's really the hole in my in my email processes. You know, if my Mac is not running at home, if mail's not running on my Mac at home, a lot of spam still gets through because spam sieve isn't isn't filtering, um, and a lot of my custom designed rules don't work because the the mail's not filtering in them to rules. So I I think a Mac Mini would help me a lot with email. The other area is archiving. I still lose emails. You know, no matter how hard I try. I set mail to archive a copy when it comes in. I set mail to archive a copy when I delete it on my iPhone. But there's still holes. There's still things that that slip through the cracks. But, you know, if I had some kind of, of rule system set up in advance where that archiving would happen automatically as soon as it hit my IMAP account, um, you know, it would even be archived before it got to my iPhone. So I, I think it would serve save, uh, serve some of those problems for me. Okay, I totally get that. Okay, good. Yeah, in fact, I'm doing it. I have an iMac, and yeah. it's kind of the family iMac. I mean, everybody syncs their iPods and whatever to this computer. The The whole family iTunes library is attached to it on the Drobo. And, um, you know, the Apple TV movies are served from it, and it's always running my mail to do my spam filtering, and it's always running BusyCal to serve my calendar, in essence, to me on, on the road. So I, I get that. And okay, that so you approve my purchase. Yes. <laughs> I just don't get the whole Mac OS X server because there's a lot of people doing it. And I'm just not sure why. Yeah, I, I haven't heard a good reason. I mean, look, you know, I'm Mac Sparky. I'm looking for a reason to do stuff like this, you know, but it just doesn't make sense to me to to put a Mac OS X server product in your home. But you well, know, maybe something out there, I don't know. And especially for me, I, I think it's starting to make sense. Although I got to tell you, when they when they upped the price of the Mac Mini to six ninety nine, it it kind of ratcheted down my my anxiousness to do it a little bit. Um, you know, my MacBook is my main Mac. It's not always on, you know, sometimes it's got the lid closed and it's asleep and that's a problem. You know, if I need to access it from outside the house and it's sitting here snoozing on my network, mm, that's a problem sometimes. Um, you know, so kind of having an always on Mac that's sitting in the closet, but then you think about, Hmm, you know, with that HDMI output, maybe it doesn't sit in the closet. Maybe it sits next to my TV. It can still do all that cool stuff sitting next to my TV, but then it can also serve as a media center. But, um, I, you know, the, the main reason I don't, I bought a Mac Mini about a year and a half ago off of uh, off of eBay. And I used it for six months and I, I, I sold it. And, you know, thankfully I didn't lose that much money on it, but I just, I just didn't use it enough to justify keeping it. Well, well you know, before I would do that in your shoes, I would look at a refurbished iMac. Mm, yeah. 
I could. Because it's really nice having that big screen and you can just sit down and work at it and leave your laptop in the bag. Um, My laptop, it will get lonely in the bag. I am. Um, I, I predict in the future at the Sparks house that we're going to have this one iMac and that, you know, we're not going to be being laptops and everything for everybody. I'll probably have one because of my work, but uh, for my kids, I think we're just going to be using these iPads and have the one computer at home that you can sit down and work at when you need. And I think that'll be just fine. The other thing that interests me, and this is kind of one of those living in the future type things, is uh, you can, it, it costs some money, but you can set up some pretty cool home automation through a Mac now. Um, you know, or or home security or surveillance systems. Now, is that necessary? Absolutely not. But you can. Yeah, it is pretty neat, though. I agree. So. And that's another one where it kind of spills over. They've got iPad and iPhone software to, to drive it all. I mean, you could set up the network and you could get a restaurant and turn on the lights in your house. So, you know, and, and well, I'm still looking for a way to my fridge to tell me that my milk has expired, but I haven't figured out yet how to do that with a Mac Mini. Oh, I've got a perfect system for that. I just open the refrigerator door and smell the milk. Hmm. That seems so analog. <laughs> Sometimes that's the best solution. <laughs> Maybe I can set up a little light and a little camera and put my Mac Mini in the refrigerator. And no, I don't know. It wouldn't overheat that way. There you go. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about music a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've covered music a lot, you know, in the whole iTunes, you know, centralized system. But, you know, just to touch on this a, a little bit, assuming your life lives in iTunes like mine does, you can really get that music a lot of places now. I think I've mentioned this on our, our networking show, but I have three or four, maybe only three, uh, airport express units that are just hanging out around the house. You know, I've got one in my office that's connected to speakers and is connected to my printer. I've got one in my bedroom that's connected to a set of speakers. And then I have one that kind of travels. Sometimes it's in the kitchen or if I'm doing something up on the on the, the roof, sometimes I'll move it up there and I'll I'll, I'll move some speakers up there. Uh, but it's very cool. Maybe another use for that that Mac Mini media thing is, um, you know, you can access your iTunes now through the remote app on your iPhone. So you can control iTunes from pretty much any computer, but also from your remote on your phone. And, you know, if you're like me, your phone's within an arm's reach of, of you no matter where you go. Did you just say up on the roof? Up on the roof, yeah. I have a little rooftop terrace. <laughs> okay. And this picture of my mind of you up there like, Hammering down shingles <laughs> yeah. with my extension cord up there. No, no, no. I, I have a rooftop patio terrace that's, you know, kind of the, the hangout. Yeah. Airport Express is really neat. It does a lot of things. We've talked about it in different shows, but on this show, let's just talk about it with music. It's uh, it just works. You plug it in anywhere in the house, you plug it into a stereo and you're good to go. And yeah. And iTunes sees it, you just direct it to it and you're good. Yeah. And and if I can share, one of the things that I have a tendency to do is, believe it or not, folks, I listen back to the entire episode of this podcast and before I, I publish it out on iTunes. I know that may come as a shock to people, but, um, you know, it's kind of a pain. I, I don't mean this in a bad way, David, but, you know, after we have this conversation to then listen to this conversation twice more as I'm as I'm editing it. Um, so I use a, a little tool called Airfoil which will allow you to stream audio from any application on your Mac to any of your Airport Express speakers. So I can multitask a little more. Instead of having to sit in front of the computer, I can send the audio out to my living room while I'm you know, 
vacuuming, well, not vacuuming, that's a bad example, you know, mopping the floor or doing the laundry or, or whatever. And that's from Rogue Amoeba, right? That's from Rogue Amoeba. And then when I say something stupid, I, I run into the, the office, I pause it, I go back, I edit it out, and, you know, then we continue. And when I say something stupid, you go back and I turn just, it up. I just keep doing my laundry. Exactly. Um, the uh, Another thing people don't realize is the Apple TV also can work as an airport express. You can play stream music through your, your television or your stereo hooked up to your Apple TV. Yeah. And uh, we've got an airport express here, but since we got the Apple TV, I really haven't used it much because the one place that I stream it to is the stereo, which is next to the TV. So You should go put it up on your roof. Yeah, I should. Next time I need to do some work up there, maybe in the attic or uh, I don't know. Yeah. And so the Apple remote is, uh, is okay. You know, it's got four buttons on it, right? Five buttons maybe. So, uh, however, if you get the remote app for your iPod touch or your, for your iPhone, it's pretty nice. It helps, uh, make that stuff work a little better. Absolutely. And that's the one that I use. I use the remote app. I don't even know that you can use a regular remote with airport express. Can you? No, I so I just learned something. Okay. Maybe well, can. It, it, you could use the standard Apple remote paired to your computer. And sure. Yeah. Toss it, but I guess you'd have to be in the same room. Right. Yeah, and the Apple remote app is free in the iTunes store. All right. Let's, let's change subjects and talk about something that is a constant source of frustration for me. And I think a lot of people, and that is printing. I hate printing. Yeah, the bane of everyone's existence. So, I don't know that I've got the ideal setup for this, but I feel like I've learned a lot over the years, and I think I'm getting closer. You know, maybe by the time I retire, I'll have printing all figured out. But the thing that frustrates me more than anything is the stupid printer ink. I mean, this stuff costs more than oil. It costs more than liquid gold. I don't know that, but it costs a lot. And I once saw an internet thing where they said that um, printer ink is more expensive per ounce than human blood. Well, blood's not that expensive, is it? I don't know, but it really struck me. Sorry. Well, that sucks. Anyway, I hate ink and I hate printers because you go buy 30, you know, 30, 40 bucks for an ink cartridge, depending on if it's black and white or color or whatever. And then all I do 90% of the, 99% of the time is I print in black. I print in black. I print everything in grayscale because I want to, want to preserve this. But then for some stupid reason, my yellow runs out. And, oh, no, sorry, I can't print in black now that your yellow has run out. I mean, give me a break. Yeah, sounds like a scam, doesn't it? It does sound like a scam. And then I'm convinced that the printers report prematurely that your ink is low so that you have to go out and buy more of it. So I usually ignore it. And then at some point, my printer just stops printing because it says, nope, not printing anymore. You're too low on ink. Um, so one of the things that I've done to... to let Oh, and then if you don't print much, which I don't print much, then the ink dries out and then you got issues. But... One of the things I've done to to lessen the burden of that a, a little bit is I've started buying generic ink, and it's become more and more difficult. It used to be really easy, you know. I could get three dollar black and seven, you know, five dollar color, and that was great. And um, I found generic ink has become a lot more difficult to come by. But um, I do have a few sites that I use: uh, DealInc dot com and InkDaddy dot com are, are probably two of my favorites. Do you do the generic ink thing? I don't. Hmm. I'll tell you about my printer in a minute. Okay. So that's it. But then, you know, I got this new printer that has um, 
you know, these little microchips. And then initially they wanted you to swap out the little chips. And then that didn't work because the printer knew that you were fooling it. And it, it's just become a hassle. So I, I buy most of my ink cartridges now at Walmart and they seem to be the cheapest place locally. Yeah. I used to use these uh, re-inker kits. It's like, it was like a, it was like doing surgery. On oh, I have a printer. funny story about one of those, but go yeah. ahead. This little pump and a little needle and you'd press it in the little hole and fill it up with ink. And, uh, but I don't have an inkjet printer anymore. Oh, I, you know, I think I, do, I think I do somewhere, but I, it's never been plugged in. Um, when Daisy, uh, my wife has a, an online scrapbooking store and, uh, uh, eclecticpapery.com. But anyway, uh, so when she got doing it, she was printing out these invoices to, to ship. And we said, you know, we just got to get a laser printer. So we bought, we just bought the cheapest HP laser printer they had at Staples. I think it was like a hundred bucks and I regret it every day. I mean, we, we hooked Fine. it up because we just got the basic one. I didn't want to pay the extra $50 to get the one that, you know, has an Ethernet cable and will plug into your network. So I said, oh, I'll just plug it into the time capsule and be done with it. Well, I don't know what it is. We've had this printer a couple of years now, and it once in a while, it just stops working, you know, at the most inconvenient time. And the troubleshooting of this printer is really bizarre. I go and I have to unplug the printer, then I have to plug it in the USB cable out of the time capsule into the laptop and get it to print a page that way, which it usually does. And then the wireless networking works again, like it gets out of sync or something. Mm-hmm. And it's just because I saved $50 and I have, I have paid for that so many times over with uh, having to stop to troubleshoot it for my wife. Uh, so, you know, that, that's a problem. And, you know, with my kids, frankly, we just tell them you got to print it out in black and white on the, uh, on the, uh, on the HP laser jet. So we don't really deal with the inks and the ink jets and all that stuff anymore. Uh, but to be honest, I've got to the point where I don't do a lot of printing anymore. I, you know, I, I was at work one day and I was working on a, a pretty complex deal and I had gone through two or three drafts and I looked down and we don't have a recycle system at work. And I looked down at my trash can and I had, I had wasted so much paper and, uh, you know, I just said, you know, I'm going to teach myself to proofread on the screen. And I know that a lot of people are against it. I was always against it because I felt like I did a better job proofreading mm-hmm. with the printed out paper. But the last six months or so, you know, using pages and, and even uh, the new version of Word and some of these other uh, applications, they do a pretty good job of, you know, getting the noise off the screen and letting you look at the words. And I've been really trying to do that more often. And when I do force myself to print a draft, I keep the paper and then I use the back of it again. So uh, I feel at least I'm trying to do a little bit to, to avoid killing so much paper. And the nice thing about that is I don't need to deal with printers as often either. Hmm. Well, I think you've got the right idea about going with a, a laser printer. And I'm pretty sure that will be my next purchase. But for some reason, I'm I'm afraid to give up the, the the color capability. Although I think I could count on one hand with multiple fingers left over the number of times I've used color in the last year. But I also really like the ability to have a, a multifunction device because I do, from time to time, make copies. Actually, probably more regularly than I than I print or print in color. At least um, I make copies. Occasionally, I faxed from home. Um, and I used to use the scanner before this was before I got a scan snap. Um, I use the scanner quite a bit and there are still some things that you can't do with a scan snap because it, it doesn't have a flatbed scanner. So I use the scanning functionality on my HP. I'm sorry, HP. It's a Canon. So I have a Canon MP 530, which is my printer and it, it plays well. It plays very nice with my airport express. 
but the um, only the printer function works over the airport. And that's fine most of the time because the printer function works over the airport. And if I ever need to fax or copy, that's that's direct from the scanner. I don't need to do that or the 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 cop the multifunction, and I don't need to, to do anything with the network about that. Uh, but the problem comes on that rare occasion when I need to scan something in the flatbed scanner. Um, I can't do it and get it to my Mac because it's hooked up through my airport. And although the airport, I guess it it supports some scanners over the network. It it does not support many, and it certainly doesn't support mine. Um, so one of the things that I've done is is I went up to one of my favorite websites, Monoprice, and I, I thought about this a lot and figured out how how am I going to solve this problem? Because you know, ninety five percent of the time, I want the scan the the printer to be connected to the wireless network because especially having a laptop, you know, I want to be able to print from the couch, from the living room, from the kitchen, you know, wherever. I don't want to have to come back and plug into USB cable. But there are times when I need to be connected to the USB cable because I want to scan. So I literally got this box that looks like it came out of the 50s that says A and B and it has a physical switch on it. And on one end it, you know, it it has a, it, it has plugins for for two USB cables. And then out comes one USB cable to, in my case, it connects to my larger USB hub. So the the printer plugs into the box, and then the little A cable goes to my Airport Express, and most of the time it's flipped to A. And the little B cable goes into my my USB hub as well, so that it can be, you know, kind of quote-unquote direct connected to my printer. And most of the time it's flipped to little A cable. But if I ever want to scan, and usually when I'm scanning, I'm sitting at my computer, uh, I flip it over to B, and I can scan it from right there, and then I flip it back over to A when I'm done. So that's been a a, a good solution to my problem because previously I would have to unplug the printer and you know reach behind it and pull it out and then and then plug it back in. I don't really miss the color printer at all, and uh, so I you know when I want to print pictures, I send it to you know Walmart or whatever the deal of the week is. I get them done by somebody else. I don't know. I really like the multifunction capability. I like having it, although I don't use it that much. And I certainly don't want two printers. Well, uh, you know, one of the nice things about Mac OS 10.6 was they built in the printer driver update support. So uh, software update also checks your printers and updates the drivers, which I believe helps. Uh, but, they, you know, it's just a, it's a weird business. I, I, someone told me when you buy a new printer, the, the ink cartridges are only half fill. Yeah, I believe that. Can, and uh, and it's almost cheaper to go buy a new printer than it is to replace the ink. Oh, it is in some cases, a lot of cases. No sense to me, but I guess that's the way it works. So there you have it. Uh, we don't have the answers for printing. <laughs> no. I don't think anybody does. So Apple also makes a lot of great networking devices and not going to spend a lot of time on this because we did a whole show devoted to networking. If you want to hear about networking, about how we've got our network set up, um, you know, take a listen to our, our networking episode. We talked a little bit about the airport express, but you know, I'll just, I'll just throw a plug out there. I've got a couple of airport expresses around my house. I love my time capsule. You know, it's, it's basically an airport extreme with a hard drive. I know that the Apple, uh, routers are more expensive than, you know, something fairly comparable that you could get, but they are just so dead easy to set up and they work so well. They've just got a nice feature set and I've been pretty happy with my Apple routers. Yeah, that's another one where you, you got to consider your time because 
my Apple Airport Extreme and my uh, time capsule have, I think, never just gone down on me the way my old, you know, Netgear one used to. I mean, right. it's been so much time trying to troubleshoot it and get it working again or, or even worse, be at the office and get a call from my wife saying the Internet's down and I'm running an Internet store. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> So it's, uh, it's, you know, the reliability is definitely a factor. Okay. So let's talk about our next sponsor. One password. One password. I am enjoying one password more and more with iPhone four. Is that odd? Well, tell me why. Okay. So iPhone four has this, um, I don't know what's it called background apps, multitasking capability that I, I thought was a little overrated. Okay. When am I going to use this? But as I, I decided that I was going to set up my iPhone from scratch, I wasn't, that turned out to be a bad idea. I wasn't going to restore it from my previous version, which means all of my passwords were lost. I had to go back and manually fill them in. Well, of course, one of the first apps I load up on the iPhone is 1Password for iPhone. And I, I sync it up with my Mac, no problem. It syncs over the, over the air. And within a, a minute or two, all of my 1Password information is now on my iPhone. And okay, I log into Evernote and oof, okay, it needs a username and password. I have no idea. I mean, I, you know, what that password is because, you know, following David's leave, I, I decided to make all my passwords super secret and let one password generate them. And even if I knew what the password was, I really don't want to type it in because my guess is it's some nonsensical password. Yes. So double tap, you know, oh, look, one password's in my recent items. Click on that, log in, type in, you know, whatever I'm looking for, Evernote, find it. Copy, double tap. Oh, there's Evernote right there because I was just in it. Click into Evernote, you know, paste the password right in. And I I can't even tell you how many times I've done that and how much easier it is. I mean, it was always easy, but how much more convenient it is to use one password on the iPhone now that you've got that multitasking support. Yeah, so you can do the fast app switching to jump from one password to your browser or wherever you're going or whatever app you're using to get the password and username in there without having to do the whole log out, log in, you know, mambo, right? Exactly. It's great. And, and sometimes in apps before the apps would, would kind of save your place in the background, you'd get to where you'd have to enter your password and you'd say, okay, let me go out. Let me go into one password. Okay. There's my password. Let me get it. Let me go back into the app. And you're like, Oh, I got thrown back to the beginning. Now I got to go all the way through this again. I, um, got to show one password off to my PC relative on 4th of July. You know, everybody has that one relative in the family that yeah. every time he sees you, he knows you're a Mac guy. He's really into the PC and he's got to, you know, he's got to tell you why the, you know, PC is better than the Mac. And, you know, like I really want to get into this on 4th of July. Right. And, uh, he has purchased himself an iPad because he can't help himself. Right. So he's asking me to show him apps and I started showing him one password and it like blew his mind. You know, he's this PC guy his whole life. And he's like, where do you get that? How does that work? You know, and he just could not get over. And so then you know, I didn't have my laptop with me, but I was telling him how when you're on the computer, you just hit the little one P icon in your browser and it creates a really secure password for you. And it wirelessly syncs it over to your iPad. If you have an iPhone, it does the same thing. And hey, by the way, they have a PC version and, you know, he's taking notes. So this guy, you know, he's a great guy, my brother-in-law. I love him. But, you know, he's a PC guy. So he's already into it. He's calling me. He's getting it on his PC now. He's already got it on his iPad. I mean, this app really sells itself. I mean, it's it gives you the, the discipline that you otherwise could not have. It creates really secure passwords. It puts them in for you. 
It backs it up in multiple places. If you're using all the different Apple app devices, you know, you can easily share that information back and forth. Uh, I just can't think of anybody who does a better job of managing passwords on any platform than one password. You shouldn't have told them that they're moving it over to Windows. You should have just left it at that. I bet that guy would have bought a Mac just for one password. No, he'll never buy a Mac just to spite me. <laughs> but I win. But I win because his wife now has a Mac. Both of his kids have a Mac and they all mock him. Okay. Well, I guess you do one. So one password on your Mac, on your iPhone, on your PC, on your iPad. Uh, it, it's pretty much everywhere, and, and all of your data can be safe and secure inside 1Password. Uh, you can find 1Password as well as Knox, which is their uh, new software solution that they're they're getting involved with, over at Agile Web Solutions. You can find a link in our show notes that will give you 20% off any of their products. So thanks again to 1Password for their sponsor, uh, sponsorship of our show. And, you know, and they just bought Knox within the last couple of months. They've already put an update out. Oh, These yeah. guys are so dedicated to their to their applications. I remember meeting one of the principals at 1Password at Macworld a few years ago, and he had one of those booths where you had to stand up, you know, just a small little booth in the corner. Great guy, Dave. Tiny and, uh, town. Yeah, he, he looked kind of tired. I said, what's up? He says, oh, we just got the new developer build of the uh, App Store, and I was up all night writing code for 1Password. I mean, this guy just did not rest. He wanted this thing to be perfect, and they still have that attitude. I love it. And... uh it's a great app. You can find it at onepassword.com. All right. Let's talk about our cars. Okay. You first. Okay. So I have an old car. I have a 1997 Toyota. Love my car, but kind of old. So a couple of years ago, I, I treated myself to upgrade the stereo system. I didn't upgrade the speakers because, you know, I'm not really an audiophile, so I don't care. But I did put a new dash unit. And I thought I was so clever because like back in, okay, a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago relative to the life of my car. So like 2005, 2006. So I, I put this in-dash unit in and I specifically get one that has an iPod connector. And I think this is great. I can charge my iPod and I can play all my music uh, through my car stereo system, through my speaker. Perfect. Um, so it, it plays the iPod and it uses the in-dash controls and it charges. So, I mean, my iPod's battery is dead. It doesn't last but about five minutes when I take it out of the car. But it doesn't matter because it's, it's completely plugged in. And um, so this was great. And then the iPhone came out. And um, the iPhone did not work with it. No generation of the iPhone could I get to work with this car system. So I was, I, I was a little upset about this. But that's all right because I still have my, my good old trusty uh, iPod video and and I use that in the car. Well, I, I got really tired of this iPod Tango. I'm sure you're familiar with the dance of which I speak. Yeah. Um, you know, the, you, you listen to the, the podcast in the car. You want to continue it at the gym. You want to continue it on the go. You want to listen to it in your kitchen. You want to do this. You want to do that. But you've got to constantly keep syncing these things up to iTunes. And I get that this is totally a first world problem, that it is inconvenient for me to sync my multiple iPods together, but it bothered me nevertheless. So uh, on a whim, I plugged my iPod 4G, in, or my iPhone, sorry, my iPhone 4 into my car. One of the, the, the things about the iPhone that really surprised me is my music started playing. I've never had any other iPhone that, that worked with my car. Now, I'm not sure whether this is a combination 
of the uh, background application process or it's a hardware thing with the iPod. I, I think it may be a little bit of both. Um, but I, the next time I plugged in, it didn't work and I couldn't figure this out. So finally I figured out that the iPod must have been played at some point. So I think this is because the app is still in the background, technically. And um, as long as it has been played at some point since the last time the, or switched on since the last time that the iPhone was synced or, or reset, it plays, no problem. So I thought, great, you know, I was all set to buy a new car system that would work with my iPhone. Because unfortunately, my current car system doesn't have one of those aux jacks because that would be too easy. But all of a sudden, my, my iPhone now works with my car and, you know, I saved myself 200 bucks. So one little little problem here is that it was initially designed for an iPod and they use FireWire charging and the iPhones don't, so it doesn't charge. So I found this great adapter from Scotch. I think that's how you say it. Scotch, maybe? And yeah, it's, is it two O's, isn't it? I don't know. Scooch? I used, I used to spell it, so somebody listening. I think it's S-C-O-C-H-E, but we'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. Um, and it's called the Passport, which is a, an adapter for charging. And they've got kind that, that work with dock mounts, and they've got kinds that are kind of specifically mounted or, or specifically set up for the car. Um, so you plug this little adapter into the connector. It's got a male and female dock connector that connects to my car. And that just stays plugged in you know, pretty much forever. And then you plug it into the iPhone, and then boom. Not only does it continue to play music like it always has, uh, but it also charges the iPhone as well. So, you know, that's 30 bucks. You can find it for about 18 on Amazon. And, you know, the fact that I don't have to replace my car stereo system is, you know, well worth it. Nice. Uh, I'm like you. I have an old, I have a 1G iPod Nano, you know, the scratchy one. Mm. Yeah. White or black? Black. Okay. And I think it's two or four G, four gigabytes. I don't know. But, you know, so I, I think it may be once a year. <laughs> it's got. <laughs> It's got like a Christmas playlist. It's got, you know, John Williams and Thelonious Monk and the stuff I like. So um, I got that plugged in and I've got an adapter on my stereo. So it, it plugs in, it always charges and I can serve music from there. But like you, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I like the National Public Radio app on my I, iPhone. And with the 3GS, I had a little window mount, you know, a suction mm-hmm. cup thingy and it had a special mount designed exactly for the 3GS size. Well, it was it was kind of a piece of junk. I've had a couple of them. I just keep buying the cheap ones. And after, you know, after a summer in Southern California, the suction cup thing degrades oh. to the extent that it just falls off all the time. So actually, that's a good question. If anybody listening knows of a really good window mount, please let me know because I'd like to get a decent one for this iPhone 4. So now I don't have one because the iPhone 4 obviously doesn't fit the old mount. And... Uh, at this point, I have the iPhone 4 plugged into the AUX jack on the stereo when I want to listen to NPR or a podcast. And otherwise, I listen to music over the old iPhone, iPod Nano for 1G iPod Nano, excuse me. For so is is there a reason you don't just listen to music through the iPhone? Uh, no, I do that. I do that as well. But, you know, it's it's kind of a hassle to plug it in when you don't have the window mount. Oh, okay. You know, it, gotcha. it used to be I'd get in, I'd just slam it into the window, window mount. There was a little plug, I'd plug it in, and I could listen to music on there as well. So uh, I could probably get rid of the iPod Nano if I got the window mount thing figured out. Hmm. 
Well, I can't speak from any firsthand experience, but the, the mount that I have on order is the auto mount, um, the PED free auto, I think is what it's called, from ThoughtOut. Uh, ThoughtOut.biz is their website. I did a lot of research into this. It's it's 50 bucks, and it includes what's what's called a form holder. That so it's it's kind of got fingery things that will stretch around an iPhone that's either you know plain or in a case. And um, it comes with a bunch of different adapters. It it comes with suction cups adapters. Um, it comes with this this sticky stuff that you can actually stick to your um, you know to the plastic in your car. And it even comes with screws if you want to screw it into I guess maybe the carpeted area or if you want to screw it into your car. You can you can do that, but I've I've talked to a lot of people and they all seem to be very happy with that one. So I'll I'll let you know how it works. Yes, report back, please. Well, that's the way I get geeky with my iPhone and iPods in the car. And then, of course, as a dad, I always carry in the car a headphone splitter. That's uh, smart to, to keep us from war in the back seat. And if it gets lost, I replace another one in the name of all that is holy. You know, you need to get a little, um, a little double-sided Velcro and, you know, pop your, your iPad up on the back of your car seat so your kids can watch in the back. Yeah. Well, since Daisy and I both have one. You just hand them back? <laughs> yeah, we basically hand them off and we've got some games on them and they, they like it. Boy, it, life has changed a lot since I was a kid. That's all I'm going to say. I, well, you know, we didn't have, uh, we didn't have any of the stuff in the car either. Although what we did have is we did have little Walkmans. Um, I, and my gosh, we played those Walkmans over and over and over again. I, I don't know what we would have done without them. Yeah. But now kids are spoiled. I mean, I've got little nephews who, um, they, you, you can't even go to Publix. You can't even go, you know, a half mile down the road without popping in a DVD. Like, oh gosh, give me a break. Hey, they don't say, are we there yet? So I'm happy. Yeah. Okay. What about at work? What kind of, uh, accessories do you use there? Well, I use my iPad and my iPhone a bit, and and we talked about that um, quite a lot on our on our iPad workflow show. So I I won't rehash a lot of that there. Um, and then I use Log Me In to use my Mac to some degree at work, so that I can have access to my Mac. And sometimes I just take my Mac into work, and and that seems to work well. But um, you know, but we talked also about the living in the Windows world and in the other shows. So I, I use kind of a combination of, of Dropbox and Brevi to get my text expander and my apps over and my files over there, and you know, log me in and, and some other utilities. But I don't really have any gadgets at work. I have a really cool coffee maker. Does that count? No, not really. Okay, I've got one. All right, I've got the Alive Scribe Pulse Smart Pen. I came so close to buying this at Macworld. You almost have me convinced. Yeah. Well, I bought one two years ago at Macworld. That was the first year they were there. And uh, they showed me how it worked, and I was sold immediately. So it, what it is, it's a it's a ballpoint pen. And uh, it's got a little camera in it. And the camera uh, looks at the, the paper you want. You get special paper with it. It's not ungodly expensive. It's like, I think, 15 or $20 for two little pads. Uh, uh, books, you know, like uh, moleskin type books. And the paper has special micro dots on it. You can also print the paper out yourself if you like. And so the pen looks at the dots as you're writing and it tracks its location with respect to those dots. So what it does is essentially creates a digital copy. The pen's a computer. So you sync your pen, 
Yes, you do sync your pen to a uh, USB dock that comes with the pen and it, it downloads that into your Mac. And so when you're done, you can click on it and you get an image of whatever you wrote on the screen, just like you had scanned that page. So the first thing you get with this device is a way to back up everything you write down, which I love backup. So this is, you know, scratches the itch. So anything I write down in my notes is backed up since I synced that pin. Um, they have a PC version and a Mac version, so I back it up. Essentially, I sync it to a PC at work, I sync it to an iMac at home, and I sync it to a MacBook. So it's backed up in three places. That's not all, though. It also has a microphone in it and a speaker. So while you're writing notes and making sure you get their permission, first you're not supposed to record somebody without getting their permission. You can say, hey, can I record this conversation? And they say yes. And you you press the pin on the page on the record button and it begins recording. The pin is smart enough to track the recording uh, pin stroke uh, along with the pin strokes you're writing. So if you're in a meeting and you say, um, let's talk about the Smith account and you write down Smith account on the page and then you sit there and you talk about it for 20 minutes. Uh, when you're done, if you just tap the pin on the word Smith account where you wrote it down, it starts playing the recording right what was playing when you said that. So it changes the way you take notes. Rather than have to sit down and write down every little point, uh, you can just you know write down the, the major subject headings and then have the, the pen capture the rest of the recording. You with me so far? Mm-hmm. Okay, and then when you sync the pen again, it syncs the audio as well, so you can just click on your screen on the, on the WordSmith account and it would play over your Mac, whatever was recorded at the time. I mean, it's very liberating. I've never been a very good note taker, and this allows me to, you know, not have to focus on that as much. Just make sure I take good notes at major discussion points, and then I can go back and capture it later. Um, in my day job, it's extremely helpful. I use it at Macworld this year. Um, uh, at some point, when one of my first daughter goes to school in, in university, I'm sure I'll be getting her one because I can't imagine a better use for this than as a student. Uh, it's just a great little device. It has really nothing to do with the Mac, but it works really well with the Mac. They have uh, Mac OS 10 software as well as uh, PC software. And uh, you can buy them. They're, they've got real wide distribution. I mean, I see them at Target. I see them at some of these computer stores. Uh, it's about 200 bucks to get in. Uh, mine is a 2 gigabyte pin. Now, I think for the 200 bucks, you get a 4 gigabyte pin. But it does some serious compression on the audio. And uh, it took me a year to fill up two gigabytes. I mean, wow. I don't use, I don't record everything I do. I just record when I'm in a meeting and I want to make sure I get good notes with somebody. Uh, but even just to, to take notes without recording, it does a great job. So are you, I guess my fear with this would be, um, you know, that I would almost become too dependent on the pen because I tend to take notes and, you know, I know that if I don't have that backup recording, I'm taking a little more detailed notes. Um, but yet, at the same time, I don't want to sit and listen to a recording. I want to be able to refer to my notes and know that I've got most, if not all, of the whole story. Do you find that you're not taking maybe as complete notes as you should be because you've got that backup recording? Um, I, well, let's start with the, the first point is I never take good notes anyway. So okay. I was missing points when I was trying to write everything down. Um, I think I get better notes now, but I do need to use the recording uh, uh, when I'm not worried about making sure I get everything written down, it allows me to make eye contact and talk to the people and kind of get the story better and allows me to stop and say, okay, now wait, explain that to me again. And uh, I don't find it that inconvenient to go back and listen to them again. I usually find more out uh, when I do that. So 
Uh, I find it really useful. Maybe it's a little more time intensive because you have to go back and listen to them. But for me, it's great. I, I could not recommend it more. Now, uh, some people are going to say, okay, why would you take notes with a pen? Why wouldn't you take them with your iPad? Why wouldn't you take them with your Mac? I think I know the answer, but. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. for me, the, having a laptop in a meeting is like erecting a wall between you and the person. And I think everybody who's ever been in a meeting with someone and they've seen them open the laptop, doesn't a little bit of you wonder if they're like, you know. Are they playing check, solitaire on that? Yeah, you know, checking or? their crops in Farmville or yeah. emailing somebody, I can't believe I'm sitting in this meeting with this idiot. You know, you just wonder. And uh, and I find it kind of gets in the way. Uh, that being said, sometimes I do take notes like uh, um, on the outliner. I can build an outline. It just kind of depends on the context. But for 95% of my meetings with other people, uh, these days I will go in there with my live scribe pen and a pad. And sometimes I'll have my iPad with me for reference. If it's a meeting where we're going to be checking out information on the web or I'm going to be sharing a keynote, I'll use my iPad, but uh, almost never does the laptop accompany me anymore into a meeting. All right. So a couple of more questions. So you got this $200 pen. So you obviously have to be careful because people steal my pens all the time. It drives me crazy. I buy nice pens and by the end of the week, I don't have any going to find out where they're going so i'm guessing you tie this with a, a string around your neck or something no i, I just take good care of it I, yeah. I don't have fancy pens either i i use the uh, gel pens that you buy at staples by the box for you know my daily pen uh the the live scribe pen however i it comes with a nice little case and i have a little bag a gadget bag that goes in my laptop case and i put it in there so i treat it like another gadget computer or a piece of hardware. And when I'm done with it, I put it in there. I don't use it so often that I need to carry it in my pocket all day. Right. You know, I, I can anticipate when I'm going to be in a meeting where I need it. Uh, or if I sit, someone says, Hey, so-and-so is here and wants to meet with you. I say, okay. And I go to my bag and fetch the pen. And then I put it back afterwards. I don't carry it around with me all day. And I've had it a couple of years and I've not lost it yet. Knock on wood. And now what about, can you refill the ink on this thing? Yeah, they, they sell so. inserts. They okay. sell inserts. In fact, I when I bought it, I purchased way too many. I purchased like two or three packs of inserts, and I think I'm only on my second insert. Yeah, you know, it's I only the, the ink thing on it is only about three inches long because there's so much hardware in there. Right. And if I had one complaint about it, it's not a very good pin, you know, mm. because it's a ballpoint. You gotta press down, but the, the pressure is what triggers the computer. So I understand why they have to do that. I like the gel ink that's a little smoother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They just don't make it for this thing because you need the pressure from the ball pit. Uh, but uh, it's really worth it. I, I just can't imagine not having it. I was in a, a mediation with a, a judge friend of mine, and he like went and bought one at lunch. He loved it so much. He says, I'm going to use this in all my mediations now. You know, Because it's just it, it solves the problem of capturing information while allowing you to communicate with somebody. And I could not recommend it enough. My last question, I promise. Have you ever had to say, Whoa, 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 wait, 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 your honor. I have to reboot my pen. <laughs> I, I, I joke about that all the time. Yeah, I need to boot my pen. Hold on. And I don't use it in court because that's, uh, we have rules in California about, you know, recording things in court. So I'm not allowed to. We have but rules against pens in California? We have rules against audio uh, recording devices. Mm. And it's a recording device. But oh. uh, I wish I could. But anyway, it's just a great thing. It, great for students. Great for anybody that does a lot of, uh, you know, God help you meetings where you've got to listen to a lot of people yak. Um, it's, and even if you just want the ability to take notes 
and being able to save them digitally. It's it's helpful for that as well. Very cool. I I am so close to buying one of these. We'll we'll see. Yeah. Maybe it's on my Amazon wish list. Maybe someone will pick me up one. Good luck with that. Yeah. Hint hint to the family. <laughs> All right. Uh, any other gadgets that you use at work? Anything fun? No, not really too many. I mean, my, my big gadget at work is my iPad and my Mac, and I think we've covered that pretty well in the other 29 episodes. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to bring us to our last sponsor, and that is Fuse Meeting. Uh, so we talked about all those boring meetings that, that everybody hates to go to, and the only thing that's worse than than having to go to a boring meeting is having to travel for hours and hours on end to get to one of these boring meetings, and you, you lose days and you lose productivity and you, you spend tons of money on hotels and flights and, and, and there still you are sitting at your boring meeting. So Fuse Meeting uh, can help fix this because, you know, you, you can go to meetings that are more interactive. You can go uh, to meetings where you can have access to, to more documents, access to multimedia presentations. And you don't have to go anywhere. You just have to go to your computer. It, it is completely browser-based. There's, there's no software to download. And you can present rich media files like videos and images in high, high definition, high resolution. Uh, and all of the participants of the meeting have access to this. Yeah, they, they really get the Mac users. I mean, they have a native iPhone app. Um, they allow you to, they're very useful for creative meetings where you want to look at images, video, and you want to make changes. Uh, they, uh, you know, they have HD multimedia content. And for 30 bucks a month, you really can't go wrong. If you go to fusemeeting.com slash Mac uh, and you sign up for it, you get a $25 iTunes gift card in addition. Yeah, so talk about win-win. Um, they have an iPhone app that upscales very nicely to the iPod or iPad, uh, so you really don't even have to be at your computer. And boss boss gets the benefit of you you not having to waste your time going to meetings. You get the benefit of not having to sit in meetings. And then you get 25 bucks in iTunes. A 14-day free trial. No, uh, no credit card required. No contract. You can upload your uh, media-intensive assets like pictures and video to the Fuse Meeting servers. And then you can download it uh, to the participants directly. So you don't have to worry about being the host for all this uh, rich media. It makes it really easy to run a meeting. Uh, you can have people sign up from their mobile phones. It's just a really great solution. Uh, check it out at fusemeeting.com slash Mac. And we want to thank Fuse Meeting uh, for their sponsorship of Mac Power Users. And you can still use your fancy LightScribe pen to take notes. Yes, you can. All right. Um, we didn't get to do much follow-up because of, of our, our Workflows episode last week with Jason Snell, which, which, by the way, I must say, was a blast. I mean, who better to learn about how they use the Mac than the editor of Macworld Magazine? Yeah, wasn't he great? Yeah, if you haven't gotten around listening to episode 29 where we chat with, with Jason Snell, that's that's definitely one that, that you don't want to miss. Um, but I, I, I want to talk about our feedback because we're getting a lot of it and we're getting some great feedback. We have some really smart people who listen to these shows. Um, and, you know, you just kind of set them off in a direction and, and they go off and they find all of these neat ways to use these tools that we're talking about, uh, quite frankly, in, in ways that are way cooler than I can. and. We're getting a lot of great feedback, and sometimes I, I feel like, you know, we, we don't necessarily have time to cover it and to do it justice. So we're, we're still going to continue um, to hit the feedback that we can at the end of our, our shows, but we want to present you with a, with a different option. 
So from time to time, not all the time, um, we're going to add and, and drop into the feed, you know, assuming there's interest in it, a Q&A episode or a feedback episode. So uh, if there's if there's something you're really passionate about or something that you want to know about, but, you know, perhaps it doesn't warrant its own full episode or it warrants more than a two to three mention in the feedback section of an episode, that's what this is going to be about. So we really want to encourage our listeners to become more active in this process. You know, we love the email that you send us. We love the comments on the blog. Uh, we've got some people now who are starting to send in some auto, audio comments, and, and we want to encourage that. So uh, you can email us an MP3. That's always pretty easy. Um, we've got a couple of people who are using that note to self app that you like so much, David, and that's very cool. Um, the voice recorder app on the iPhone is another great option. Uh, but we also have a uh, Google Voice number that we've set up. And uh, Google Voice is, is up. It's live on our website. You can uh, click the link on our website now, put in your phone number. It doesn't go to us. It will just, you know, call you on that phone number so that you don't incur any long distance charges. Um, and you can leave us a message. So uh, the Google Voice, I think we got a pretty cool number, is a 706-45-POWER. Um, that's 706-457-6937. So, uh, you know, drop us a line, and and from time to time, as as we accumulate enough feedback that we think it warrants it, um, we may do a special follow up show. Yeah, the problem is we we're getting more feedback than we really have time to address, and the shows are already long. <laughs> you know, we don't want to make them three hour marathons, so uh, we don't know what to do with all this stuff. But some of it really warrants you know getting some airtime. So we're going to put it in. We're not sure how often it's going to happen, but you know, just we'll keep you posted. And we like working with the audience as we try some of these new things out. But uh, eventually we're going to have an occasional all feedback session. So get your notes in and uh, let's get to work on this stuff, gang. All right. uh, Hitting some quick feedback from our previous episodes. Uh, First feedback comes from, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. um, Ikella, who is, is, providing us feedback on our living in a windows world episode um, and points out some, some facts that perhaps we just breezed over. But uh, we, we said that boot camp requires XP service pack two, And that is true. Uh, but both uh, fusion and parallels. And my guess would be also virtual box. The virtualization software uh, can run other operating systems. So if you want to run windows 2000 or an earlier version, uh, you can certainly do that. Um, I think we we touched on this, but maybe just in passing, is that if you've already got a bootcamp partition set up, you can virtualize your bootcamp partition in your VM. So if there are some instances uh, where maybe you need the full power of bootcamp, but other instances where you you really like the fast switching between a VM and you, and your Mac, you know you don't have to have two separate Windows installs. You you can virtualize uh, that bootcamp partition in your various virtual machines. Um, and then lastly, it, it has gotten a lot easier than it has in the past to transfer data from an old PC to a virtual machine. Um, and, and some of the companies are even coming out with their own migrate your PC option, you know, right in the file menu. Uh, for example, this is in the latest version of, of VMware Fusion. It's a, an option that launches a migration assistant and helps you transfer data from your old PC to a virtual machine. Um, our our listener writes in and tells us that they tried it once with a, a Dell laptop and um it it was no problem. It was the the virtual machine was in perfect health um and and all of the the documents transferred over. 
Uh, Parallels also has an importer tool called Trans uh, Transporter, and um, so yeah, there there's some some pretty easy ways now. If you're not quite ready to give up that PC, um, that you can move your PC to your Mac. We also got feedback from Joshua and several others talking about Exchange 2003. I think everybody was sharing my pain out there who's using Exchange 2003 and hoping I had the answer and I just had kind of a kludgy solution. But Joshua did find this DAVMail server. There's an open source project called DAVMail that uh, allows you to basically share an Exchange 2003 um, network onto your Mac devices and other devices. I'm going to put the link in the show notes because it's kind of long. It works for a lot of people. It didn't work in my office because of the way our network is set up. But uh, this is a possible solution for you. I'm going to put the, the link in there. Check it out if you're stuck with Exchange 2003. We also got a, an email from George. And we did a whole episode on 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 workflows with Hazel. And, you know, that kind of leads to I, I really want this type of functionality on my PC. So we missed this in our, our PC World podcast, um, but George pointed us in the direction of, I love this name, Belvedere, which also does something similar to what Hazel does. So now you've got Hazel and Mr. Belvedere. Yeah. I also heard from Clifford, and uh, who took me to task for some of the points on the Windows VNC stuff. And, you know, I was definitely out of my pay grade talking about that stuff. Uh, he cleared up a few points. VNC is not the same as Microsoft Remote Desktop. They're kind of different solutions. Remote Desktop is essentially logging in using the Microsoft system, whereas VNC is just bringing the screen to your Mac. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of two different ways to do the same thing, but they're also they also have differences. Uh, I got completely taken to task for screwing up NTFS mm-hmm. versus NTSF, mm-hmm. and you know I knew that. I don't. I even had it in the outline right, but you know I guess you know. I just got bamboozled by my own you know, mind during the recording of that show. Um, another point Clifford made was mail.app doesn't always support um, Exchange uh, Mail because I had the 2003 server, but I'm able to use Exchange Mail using Exchange IMAP. And uh, that needs to be enabled with your specific 2003 installation. It doesn't always happen, so you'd have to talk to your IT people. So that's that's the worst of it. Uh, they, he he gave some great comments, and I wrote him. He's a really nice guy. Um, the uh, there's some more in the show notes if you go back and check it out. So, Katie, how do you get a hold of us? Uh, we got a lot of ways now. Um, first option is you can go over to our website, MacPowerUsers.com. Yeah, you or- can find that fancy new Google Voice click button, as well as leave comments and read some of the very insightful comments that have been left on our past shows. And you can go to feedback at macpowerusers.com. Just send us an email that gets to both of us. Or you can uh, just get pick up the phone and call 706-45-POWER or 706-457-6937 for our Google Voice number. 706-45-POWER is so much cooler. Yeah. Uh, lastly, we are on Twitter. You can follow us at macpowerusers on Twitter. Well, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Smile on My Mac, makers of PDF Pen and uh, Text Expander, and uh, our sponsors, One Password, makers of One Password and Knox, and Fuse Meeting, uh, makers of Fuse Meeting, found at fusemeeting.com slash Mac. All right, David, what's next? I think it's time to talk about speech recognition on the Mac. I understand you just fine. Yeah, well, we're going to get even better at it because it's finally legitimate. Uh, it's taken a few years. 
Got some great software solutions now. A couple things to talk about. I've been using it a lot. I think you've been playing with it some. Mm-hmm. As well. I've been using and, it. Uh, it's it's worth talking about. So I think we're going to do that as our next show. Well, as always, it's it's been fun talking about Mac gadgets. I think this show has probably cost me a little money. I'm sure it's cost some of our listeners a little money, too. Sorry about that. We get that a lot. Uh, until next time, David. Check it out in the show notes and uh, put your own comments in your favorite Mac gadget. I like to hear from you as well. 